This podcast is brought to you by Laterno University. Laterno University is the Christian polytechnic university in the nation where educators engage students to nurture Christian virtue, develop competency and ingenuity in their professional fields, integrate faith and work, and serve the local and global community. Laterno offers more than 140 undergraduate and graduate degree programs across a range of disciplines and delivery models at Laterno's residential campus in Longview, Texas, and in hybrid and fully online options at centers in the Dallas and Houston areas. Online at letu.edu. That's letu.edu. Hey there, it's producer Michael Miracle here. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast. We are your on-air resource as a workplace believer. And check out our website for tons more I Work For Him resources. We've got blogs and podcasts and reading material and all sorts of fun stuff there. Plus, a link to listen to the live show several times a day. Yep, head to the website. That's IWorkForHim.com. IWorkTheNumberForHim.com. And the listen tab's up there on the top left. Click that, then click the live link, and you can listen to us live every weekday. That's IWorkForHim.com. I work the number for him.com. And now let's go ahead and kick off what we all came here for, hearing more about connecting what we learn on Sunday with what we do in our nine to five. This is the I Work For Him podcast. Hey, welcome to I Work For Him this afternoon as we broadcast again from... You always point at me like I don't know what city I'm in. I, I know make sure everybody you're else doesn't know. We're in Dallas. Dallas, Dallas Texas. Texas. Again, another interview introduced to us by Bill Peel from Laterno's Center for Faith and Work. We're so grateful for our partnership and ministry with Laterno's Center for Faith and Work and our friend Bill Peel. Bill Peel, Laterno's Center for Faith and Work. This is a resource that every Christ follower that's out there in the workplace, whether they're the business owner and leader or whether they're in one of those workers doing what do we call them? Everyday, everyday workers. Everyday I used to call workers. them people in the weeds, but the people are like people. What? What? Everybody smoking weed? No. <laughs> and the everyday workers. Everybody can benefit by going to your website, centerforfaithandwork.com. That's what right. are they going to find out there? They're going to find a thousand different pieces of resource that are articles, um, curriculum, video interviews uh, of people that are bringing faith into their workplace. So they'll see how you can actually live out your faith in the workplace on a daily basis, how to influence your your peers, and what God really thinks about this idea of work. And when you go out there to Laterno Center for Faith and Work, that's centerforfaithandwork.com, centerforfaithandwork.com, make sure that if you say, hey, get me on the, the, the their, you've got a monthly newsletter. Yeah, we have a monthly center, newsletter right? called Make Mondays Meaningful, which is it's simply a digest of telling people, alerting people of new articles that we put up on our website during the last month. Fantastic. All right. You've got another great guest for us this afternoon. I do. I want to introduce you to my friend, Pat Hamner. I love this guy. He is uh, a good friend and uh, he's actually an elder at the church here where we're at, Park City's Presbyterian Church. And Again, thank you so to Park he is, Cities. He's, uh, he's, he's in charge of my spiritual care. So if, if I get in How's trouble, he doing? go play. Pat, go Pat, play. We're going to ask you some questions play about that in a few Pat. minutes, Pat. <laughs> now, so Pat is, um, Pat is an interesting, interesting profession that some people think, whoa, Christians and venture capital. Well, that sounds interesting. And uh, But i got to tell you, Pat is... Uh, is a serious follower of Christ here and brings his faith to work with him every day. Uh, Pat's the managing partner and leads the Dallas office of Patriot Capital, which is a small business investment company uh, with offices in Bur- uh, Baltimore, Dallas, and Chicago. And they're investing uh, out of a, a fund of 
$260 million right now into companies that hopefully they see that can grow and have potential to develop. Patriot is a leading source of growth capital for middle market companies seeking to finance business expansion, acquisitions, management buyouts, recapitalizations, uh, utilizing a disciplined investment strategy that, strategy that focuses on capital preservation, consistent earnings growth, and income generating. You know why God cares about this? Because he cares about jobs. And um, so Patriot is currently seeking to invest in manufacturing, distribution, and service jobs, which are really important to our country here today. And uh, Pat is also a, a, a visiting lecturer at SMU Cox School of Business, where he teaches an MBA course every SMU summer. SMU Southern Methodist University, for those of you not right here in Dallas, Texas. Well, look, let me t- <laughs> teach you how to say that. It's Southern Methodist Southern Univers- Methodist University. University. There University. you go. So, and uh, he teaches uh, managing the entrepreneurial business. And uh, he mm. Pat knows a lot about investing in, in, uh, in, in entrepreneurial ventures. His company invested in this little company that put wheels in sneakers a few years ago. We'll have to let him tell that story. Healy's. And Pat, that had to be a lot of fun. Pat Hamner, welcome to I Work For Him. Thank you. Thank All right, we're really excited to hear your story today. Why don't we just start? We're not going to jump right to the Healy's story. Let's just start about how did you come to be a Christ follower? Great. Um, I was born in, uh, in, in California uh, and was actually adopted by parents in Shreveport, Louisiana. So I grew up in Shreveport. Uh, when it came to uh, go to college, I, I earned a scholarship at SMU. And uh, so came to Dallas, uh, went through the mechanical engineering program here at SMU. Uh, my junior year, uh, we had a tragedy. Uh, I lived in a fraternity house on campus, and there was a fire one night after one of our rush parties. And actually, one of our brothers was killed in the, mm. in the fire. Um, at that time in my, my life, I was really kind of struggling with what's my purpose in life. And really, how come I survived that fire and this other fellow didn't? And a, a couple of months after the fire, um, I got a call one morning at 7 a.m. from a fraternity brother. In the, and he said, Pat, I'd like you to invite you over to a, a local church here in Dallas. One of our other fraternity brothers became a Christian as a result of that fire. I want you to come hear his testimony. And so I went over there, and, and well, it, it, at first I said, you know, Perrin, it's 7 a.m. in the morning. I was partying last night. I'm not going to church this morning. He said, Hamner, they serve Sarah Lee pecan coffee cake. I said, okay, I'm in. <laughs> so and I know exactly what you're talking about. Especially I for a college boy. Sarah Lee pecan <laughs> coffee cake. So I showed up for the coffee cake, and I got a lot more than I expected. Uh, this fellow, Larry, was giving his testimony. He was talking about the peace, power, and purpose that comes from knowing Jesus Christ personally. And it was just that day the Holy Spirit was working on my heart. When he finished, I made a beeline. I said, Larry, I don't know what you got, but I want it. And later that day, I prayed to receive Christ and you know, been walking with the Lord ever since. Mm. So uh, that's that was the moment that uh, that that really you know the stake went in the ground, and uh, you know, uh, Christ uh, welcomed me into His kingdom. All right, but but Bill Peel introduced you as a you know a venture capital investment kind of guy, but you just said you just majored in engineering. How did you make that twist? I mean, I, I understand there's intricacies involved in venture capital, lots of details, but engineering to venture capital, engineers aren't typically risk takers. <laughs> well, 
actually going through SMU and the engineering program, I worked for a big company called Halliburton Oilfield Services. Many people have heard about spent, Halliburton. Spent some time in South Louisiana working out in the uh, offshore and in the oil fields. And I found myself after graduation in a in Lake, near Lake Charles, Louisiana on an August day. It was about 106 degrees. <laughs> and uh, I was 40 feet up in the air on this working on this snubbing unit. And uh, the, the chemicals that we were involved with were raining down on us that day. It was uh, mm. Things were leaking and it was just a miserable experience. And after a while, I thought, you know what, if I go get an MBA, I bet I could find a job in an air-conditioned office. And so I applied to grad school and actually got into the University of Texas in the January semester and left the oil patch and went to, went to Austin. Uh, got in the, involved in the MBA program, and halfway through, I heard about this new field. This was back in 1980, 79-80, called venture capital. And it was kind of a new term of art in the uh, finance area. And uh, I was able, I was lucky enough to to be able to do a research project for the dean of the business school on something that was going on uh, in in, uh, in in the venture industry that would change the the, the face of it. And he ended up giving me a, a stipend and sending me around the country to Washington D.C., Boston, New York, Chicago, interviewing 35 venture capitalists at that at that time. And uh, it was an amazing uh, experience. And as I went through that process, I met these people that I thought, wow, these guys are really doing cool stuff. I would love to be in this business. And I happened to find a guy here in Dallas that was uh, in the business. And he was very interested in the research I was doing because his company was affected by this, this law that was going to be passed or had passed. And uh, long story short, he hired me and I worked for him for 24 years. Wow. And so that's how I essentially made the transition from engineering into, into uh, finance. Now, Bill, you're laughing during all this. Fill in some of those with, with laughter. So, I'm thinking, you know, so I wonder how many people God's called off of the oil rig <laughs> <laughs> like that. But uh, they used to say in East Texas, there's a, there's a lot of pastors uh, called to the ministry from behind a plow. And uh, so God has interesting ways to direct, direct our paths here. Absolutely. And uh, I'm just I'm so thrilled that that Pat is in this business because he's been uh, a serious serious representative for Christ in, in this particular particular work. And I guess when I was first introduced to this term, it was not a positive term, Pat. Um, it was you know where some outside company oh, invested yeah. capital in a company and they'd kind of taken it over and changed the whole structure of the thing and when i first met pat you just returned from a a big meeting of 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 venture capitalists i think it was in atlanta Mm -hmm. where you had spoken about something that uh i was delighted that they were hearing about tell us well and when we come back from the break we'll let pat hamner tell us that story what he was telling people we're talking today with pat hamner from patriot capital He's a guest of Bill Peel from Laterno Center for Faith and Work. I really want you to get engaged with their website, centerforfaithandwork.com, centerforfaithandwork.com. Bill Peel, you've got Pat Hamner in here with us today from Patriot Capital. You asked Pat a question right before the break, but I had to interrupt you because we ran out of time, but it was about him speaking somewhere about some specific subject. Yeah, Pat. uh, Pat's made a transition from venture capital into private equity now. But uh, when I met him, he was still in the venture capital business. And you'd spoken at a conference there to other venture capitalists about? Yeah. 
well, servant leaders. That's, yeah. it, that's right. Uh, I was asked to give a talk uh, to a group of young venture capitalists that were just coming into the industry. They are out of grad school, you know, consulting, wherever they'd been. And, uh, and they asked me to give the entrepreneur's perspective of the venture capitalist. So it was sort of step across the table. I've been a VC. Now, from the other side, what what do entrepreneurs really need from the venture capitalist other than just the capital? And so the uh, the approach I took was to to really talk about yes we we certainly provide the capital but it's it's much more than that it's it's uh, it's business advice business judgment it's connections and it's really doing things that um, you know yes we're providing the capital but we're going to provide a lot more mentoring and advice and and assistance in trying to help you grow the the business that that you're running. And, and I made a, a number of points in that, in that presentation, and as I told these young venture capitalists, I said, the number one thing you've got to focus on is pride versus humility and how important it is to be humble in the role that you have as a young venture capitalist sitting on the board of directors, perhaps, of an entrepreneurial company and trying to advise a guy that's probably 10, 20 years older than you are. Uh, and, you know, humility will get you much, much further down the road uh, in, in that capacity. And I talk about being an encourager and how important encouragement is in, in uh, building uh, young companies. Um, I talk about uh, the servant leadership uh, and, and how it's not, it's not all about going in there and telling people how to mi- micromanaging their company for them, but it's trying to figure out what can I do to help you today that you, you need help with. Do you need money? Do you need contacts? Do you need vendors? Do you need customers? How can I use my network to help you do that? So those, those kinds of uh, topics uh, were, were part of that talk, but it was much more about uh, the need for good character, to be trustworthy, to, to have a good relationship. It's, it's more about relationships. And uh, all of that essentially comes from, you know, the golden rule uh, and, and uh, the first, the, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body, and your neighbor as yourself. So uh, how did the audience respond to that? Because that was, uh, th- that was terminology and those were directions that they typically weren't hearing. It, 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 it was a bit unusual, but I was invited back the next year and the next year and the next <laughs> year. And I've been doing this talk now for, gosh, uh, probably 15, 18 years. So well-received. It's well-received. Mm-hmm. It's well-received. That's fabulous. So tell us about the work that you're doing now at Patriot Capital. So, so Patriot is more of a private equity, private debt uh, fund. So we're, we're looking at companies that are beyond the startup stage. They're now you know, up and running in business. Uh, maybe they're being uh, acquired in a, a transaction. Um, and we're providing part of the capital to make that uh, uh, transaction occur. So in, in a typical deal, you've got a private equity group that's going to buy the equity of the company. You've got a, a commercial bank or a commercial finance organization that's providing the senior capital. And what Patriot does is we come in in between the bank and the equity, and we put in what's called subordinated debt. It's, it's uh, less expensive than equity, but more expensive than debt than the senior debt. And uh, it'll, it helps people to get uh, transactions done. And then we, uh, again, the same strategy, uh, we try to help the companies. Uh, this is five-year money, so it's, it's in there. It's long-term capital. And it's all about trying to delever the company over the next few years and try to grow the cash flow of the business and ultimately uh, build it into a, a larger sustainable enterprise that's of more value than 
it was when we got into the deal. So for those people listening, let me just see if I can interpret that for the most sure. of the audience. So you take established companies who are, who are poised for growth yet don't have the cash flow for growth, and you help them with the cash flow and the financing and the advice in order to be able to get to that next level. That's, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I know that that's very simplified, nope. that's but I don't good. have a master's degree. Right. So. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. So talk about the, the Healy's deal. That sounded like that was some, some fun. Like, yeah, it's fun. I mean, everybody knows, everybody remembers those, uh, all, well, I never saw a lot of girls do it, but a lot of boys rolling oh, around. Oh, no, and, they were girls. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. sure there were, but I just don't remember as many. But, you know, they roll, could shop a whole lot faster if right. the store would let them use yeah. them because not all stores let them play with them in the store. That's right. They wanted you to walk instead of roll around on wheels. So this is going back to 2000. I was back in the Capital Southwest days doing venture capital deals. And um, one night, a lawyer that lived down the street from me that knew I had three young boys that were 10, 7, and 4 uh, dropped off a videotape at my house. And it showed six, six kids on Healy prototypes going down a parking garage in Plano, Texas. <clears throat> and I wasn't home. My kids watched that videotape. 20 times. And when I came through the front door, these three little boys came running up and said, Daddy, Daddy, come here. you got to see this. It's so cool. What are you talking about? They said, Heelys. What are Heelys? They're shoes with wheels in them. Come here. Look at this. So I went back to the TV and I watched it once. And I was being a mechanical engineer. I was like, wow, that is so cool. I, I can't see how this is working, but that is really phenomenal. These guys look like they're just levitating down this garage. So the next day I was heading out to San Francisco and I stopped in Denver, called the entrepreneur and just peppered him with questions. And I came, came out of that conversation convinced this guy's going to get a patent. He's done a lot of homework on this mm -hmm. thing. And the reaction of my kids suggests to me there's a business here because other people are going to want this if my kids were so excited about it. Within a couple of months, we put two and a half million dollars in the company. We had the, the inventor moved into our office. We incubated the business. We found a, uh, a management team. We got a board of directors. We put the capital in and set it up and, and got it rolling. And over the next six years, it went from essentially a startup to almost a $200 million a year company, um, making you know $30 million after tax. And uh, in, two, in late 2006, we took the company public at, uh, at 10 times what uh, you know a competitor had uh, tried to buy the business for earlier mm. that year. Uh, the, the stock went on up to, uh, it actually had a billion dollar market cap for one day. So technically <laughs> a unicorn didn't last long, but, uh, uh it came back down. Um, uh, companies like that, when you're selling cool, we were essentially yes. selling an experience. It was a skate, it was a sh skate shoe, right? But, mm -hmm. it, but we were selling an experience and, and, and a cool factor that doesn't stay cool all that long. And right. you've got to come out with, uh, new products and new upgrades to keep it uh, cool. And uh, that's where the company really stubbed its toe. We didn't really come up with a good second product after the original Healy's came out. So the business cooled off and we ultimately sold it in 2013. But people say, oh, it's a fad. I said, yeah, show me the next fad. We sold 22 million pairs of them. I'll invest in the next fad that does that. That's a good fad. <laughs> yeah. And that's the kind of fun stuff. So how do you see your, as now with Patriot Capital, as you do uh, equity investments, that kind of stuff, you talked about how your faith comes into play with what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Um, you know, I think about the words of Paul when he was in Athens. He said, you know, in, in, in him, that's Christ, Jesus Christ, we live and move and have our being. Um, as, a, as a fellow who has placed his faith in Jesus Christ, uh, Back in 1978, you know, my life is about 
abiding in Christ and trying to live my life to glorify Christ in all things that I do. You know, the, the Bible says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. I can't even take credit for those good works. He created them, and he gave them to me. I just walk in them. So right. that's my job is just doing, doing what he's given me to do and trying to give him the glory when that, when that works out. That's a fun place to be, though, isn't it? So talk to me, then, how do you see your business fitting into God's agenda? So you're as providing capital uh, investments into already established firms, the firms that really want to grow. How do you see that as part of the kingdom? You know, I, we mentioned uh, earlier, I, I teach a course at, at, in entrepreneurship at SMU, and I, I try to make the case that constructive capitalism is the best economic system that we've ever had. And uh, it benefits the most people. It results in the most freedom uh, for a for society. Uh, but I think the foundation of, of, of uh, capitalism really comes from the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body, and your neighbor as yourself. And um, there are three objects in that commandment, if you think about it, uh, objects of love. God, your neighbor, and yourself, right? And I think uh, in, in capitalism, we're essentially looking for needs that our fellow citizens have. And we're organizing a, an entity or an enterprise that can solve the problem that that person's experiencing to deliver a product or service that helps that person have a better life. And it's a fair trade. They give us money, we give him a solution, a product, a solution. And that's good. I think that's the way God designed it to work. And um, uh, so, so in a sense, Jesus, you know, summed it up. He said, uh, he wants to be first, let him be last and the servant of all. It's all about sort of serving our neighbor. Um, and I, I think great businesses do that very well. You think about a Chick-fil-A. They're, they are a service-oriented business. It's all about servant leadership there and taking their customers, and what can I do to help my customer have a better life by doing business with me? Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's fundamental to, the, to, to our system. Laternal Center for Faith and Work, our favorite person from there, Bill Peel. He's helped us arrange some phenomenal interviews all week long here in Dallas, Texas, and one of them is Pat Hamner. And Pat was in the middle of a story, and Bill, you wanted to follow up with another question on that. Yeah, I just wanted to affirm what Pat was saying. The way, uh, the way we love our neighbor uh, according to the Bible, is first of all the actual work we do. And in in First uh, Thessalonians four, Paul says, "Now about brotherly love, make sure you mind your business and work with your hands." Hmm. And so that's actually the way that we're supposed to love our neighbor by the actual work we do. Hmm. And businesses that meet legitimate human needs, which is most of them, uh, are they're loving they're loving they're giving us providing opportunities for us to to love our neighbor and i i just you know i appreciate what what pat does so much because capital is the oil that makes business work and business is what provides the needs and and resources that we have you know to live our lives and creates jobs for us if there wasn't if it wasn't for capital we'd all be trading you know, trading wheat for, you know, for, for sure, cows or whatever. Right. And, sure. and uh, we've been able to harness the resources of the earth in incredible ways because of, of a capital system uh, that uh, has has evolved here. And this, you know, the the beauty of and, and resources of the earth that, that God has given us is, you know, as is made available because of people like Pat 
who are managing capital investments and in, in making and helping businesses grow. It's God's work. And, and, and so, Pat, you're really you're playing in the kingdom all day long because you're taking ideas that are cultivating the earth and you're helping those ideas to grow. I mean, really, God told us to, hey, we, told Adam and Eve, cultivate the earth, yeah. which meant take those resources that are in the ground and get them above the ground, which is when you look around us, you know, Dallas-Fort Worth is a megaplex, me- mega metroplex, and everything's above the ground, including all of the highways. I don't know what the deal is, why they don't just put highways on the ground here. Everything's got to be elevated five or ten stories above the ground. <laughs> That's what I noticed yesterday That's as we were driving in. because we want to keep the people that are kind of from, iffy out of here because we, we he can't figure out you can't out figure out how in the world to drive around this place so pat hamner from patriot capital and again you can find out you can find patriot capital online patriot-capital.com patriot-capital.com talk to us about how patriot capital is making the world a better place and give us an example that's, of yeah, it. Yeah, that's a good, that's a great question. Um, as we mentioned earlier, we're, we're in the business providing long-term, uh, you know, private capital, both debt and equity, typically for at least five years to, to entrepreneurs that are running their businesses. And then we provide the business judgment and connections and so forth uh, to go along with that. But we really try to operate with integrity, with character, transparency, uh, along with solid execution. We've got to, we've got to execute, but that, builds trust with with people and and uh that's and how what, does it build trust because i want to dig into that because you're not just providing money you're really providing relationship well we we are and, and i think if you look at the the book the speed of trust by stephen covey he talks about two things you got to have character and you got to have competence and and uh those those two things have to be a part of they're the building blocks of of, of trust and you don't really enter into good business relationships if trust doesn't exist. And the reason some business relationships end is because trust is broken and somebody decides I can't do business with this person. So I think trust is it's just huge. It's, it's, a, it's a major, major factor in relationships. So we work hard to assist our management t- teams in, especially when they're underperforming. You know, you've got a couple of options there as a lender or an investor. You can come in and just sort of take over the business or you can go in and try to figure out what's really going on here and how can we help this team kind of get their ship, you know, right it in the right direction. So as part of your due diligence to determine whether you're going to give them any money, you're looking at their management team, you're looking at their operations, trying to see, does Absolutely. this place have potential? Does it have the right people, maybe not in the right spots? The, yes, I mean, I mean you're looking at all of that stuff. I'm looking at the value proposition. What are they actually delivering to their customers? And are their customers excited about that? I'm looking at their competitive advantage. Can they, do they have an unfair competitive advantage where other people can't do exactly what, what they do? Uh, I'm looking at their financial strength. How much horsepower do they have here to kind of, kind of run this business? And then I'm looking at that team, and I'm, I'm really trying to get a read on what, what's the character of this team that we're about to put our money in. Are they, are they good? Are they, do they, does the golden rule apply here? You know, do they, do they, do we, are we in, in common ground here with, with this team of uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you? Um, and, and are they people of a good reputation and character that, uh, you know, are going to be faithful stewards of the capital that we've been entrusted with that we're now entrusting to them? Mm-hmm. That's the real, the bottom line is, are they going to be a faithful steward here for, uh, for our capital? And can we get, will our capital help them to accomplish what their, their goals are with their business? Hmm. Talk to me about the people that you're involved with, though, because we've talked a lot about money and businesses, but 
all of that has to do with the people that are impacted. And part of the work that you do at Patriot Capital is impacting the lives of everyday human beings because you're providing jobs by giving those companies, and you call them middle market companies. So companies that are already established, they're poised for growth, yet they have cash flow issues that keep them from growing the potential that they have. Talk to me about the people that are involved and why Patriot Capital is really fulfilling kingdom purposes because you're providing jobs and opportunities for more jobs. Well, um, you know, I, I, maybe I can kind of answer that question this way. Um, uh, I have a, a good friend that uh, was a board member of many technology companies back in the 70s and 80s and 90s and very successful. And he said, he said Pat, whenever you go to a board meeting, you ought to ask two questions. Is today the day we fire the CEO? And if not, what can I do to help? Hmm. And it sort of frames the question. And, and because the first key is, do we have the right person leading the company that's going to lead the team, lead the business, lead the people that are involved with that company? And if we don't, we need to get the, somebody else in there that can, can actually accomplish the mission of the business. But then, more importantly, if we do have the right guy, and usually you know, the answer is, yes, we have the right guy, now what can we do to help? That's not the perspective a lot of board members may have uh, because they may think, well, we know way more about this business than the CEO does or the team is running it, and we're going to tell them how to run it, and we're going to manage it, micromanage it. I think that's the wrong approach. I think a board's job is to get underneath that CEO and essentially try to hold him up and, and support him or her, whoever it is, in whatever they're doing, by providing that consulting, that advice, that counsel, connections, um, that can help the business uh, grow and prosper. So it's it's not about micromanaging or tearing down or firing people and you know uh, slimming down the business. It's it's more about how do we turn this thing into a sustainable business that can grow over a long period of time and, and do a lot of good for society by delivering its product or service. So as you have um, you know grown throughout the different in parts of the industry that you've worked in and stuff, what would you consider to be one of the biggest challenges that you have had to face, and how did your faith play out in in that situation? That's a great question. Um, there uh, occasionally uh, disagreements do arise, and mm -hmm. parties get on <laughs> opposite sides of opinions about things. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I would say there was a, a time a number of years ago where. We were involved in a company where uh, uh, fraud was going on. And um, after disagreements, uh, there was an opportunity for us to um, liquidate our position in the company. And what followed was a lawsuit. And then two years of litigation uh, mm -hmm. with lots of depositions. Our case never went to trial. It ultimately settled. But uh, it put me uh, in, a, in a very tough position of ha having... Having, having been sued and the company I work for having been sued. Um, but as I look back on that, that was a, a, a great experience from the standpoint of it. I talked about the importance of humility uh, earlier. It knocked a lot of pride out of me and inj injected quite a bit of humility in me mm -hmm. in going through that process. When the litigation was all settled, I actually went and I called the, the, my opponent on the other side and we went and had lunch together and buried the hatchet. And he was a believer. I was too. Uh, there were believers all over this deal, and uh, uh, we we made peace. And uh, and just just recently, we've had an opportunity to look look at a deal together. So, uh, would you do it differently today? I I hope I would be more humble on the front end, and that's kind of why that's my first point when I teach these young VCs. Mm -hmm. You're going to be involved with the business, okay? Humility, just 
just think about the importance of humility uh, before you go much further. That's so that would be that would, one of the challenges I went through. You are now investing in students at the Southern Methodist University, or how did you say it again, Bill? Southern Methodist University. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Southern, Southern, Southern. Southern. Uh, that it is. Um, you get an opportunity now to, as part of the Cox School of Business, to invest in students. What does that What does that look like? You're, you're teaching now. What What are you teaching? Yeah. Well, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but but of, of course, uh, uh, humility, um, the importance of deep. Body. Well, like, what's the name of the class, though? Uh, managing entrepreneurial enterprises. Okay. Managing entrepreneurial enterprises. Okay. Yeah. But you do, you handle this differently. You're totally approaching it. I mean, you're not your typical prof. Yeah, in this particular class, I have a series of guest speakers that come in each week, and I don't coach the speakers on what to say. They, they're, most of them are CEOs that have built companies, a couple of them from zero to over a billion dollars in sales. Others have built companies three, four hundred million in sales. Um, and but they're the message that keeps coming out is what I'm talking about here on the servant leader idea of if you want to lead, you need to be a good servant. Um, you know, so. Uh, but but the the things I, I try to touch on would be, you know, building relationships with people, how important relationships are. It's being reliable as a team player. You can screw up in a lot of ways, but if you're reliable, you'll keep your job. Um, I talk about the value of commitment, uh, of how important commitment is uh, to, to a business. And that that's what generates the assistance that just kind of comes in from left field and right field that you would never expect. But if you're totally committed to a concept or a project or a, a mission, people just come out of the woodwork and they want to help you. And you need that when you're building an entrepreneurial business. And we had that happen to us at, at, at Healy's. Uh, the importance of character, reputation versus character. Reputation, nice to have character. You have to have it. And and it's it's just so important. Um, and then, the, the, you know, it's just, it's, it's uh, at the end of the day, the bottom line is, love is a competitive advantage that blows people away when you say that but wow. love and, and there's is not a, competitive a single advantage. business school out there teaching that very few well, you can't say, say it that, that way because, <laughs> because he is right very few say it that way but but uh, uh the you're the, talking love of people i'm talking about love your entrepreneur if you're a venture capitalist if you're a private equity group love your entrepreneurs love your people and teach those entrepreneurs to love their people exactly if they're doing that too you know you they if you can move people from the have to of duty to the want to of love, you you have won the day. Pat Hamner from Patriot Capital, Bill Peel with the Laterno Center for Faith and Work. Check them out online, centerforfaithandwork.com, centerforfaithandwork.com, Bill Peel. Hey, thanks. And it's such a pleasure to have my friend Pat Hamner here today. I am, Pat, I just want to go back to to some of the last things you said about uh, the speed of trust requiring competence and character from uh, uh, I blanked on his name now. Covey. Covey. Yeah. Yeah. Covey. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then love is a competitive advantage. And obviously, those are, those are Christian values. But what you're, you're not saying that you just want to do business with Christians here, are you? No, not at all. Okay. Not at all. And but you know obviously you know I I have this tendency to think that being a Christian 
is somewhat of a competitive advantage in and of itself because it hopes it helps produce competence and character, hopefully in people. But yeah. you know, non I found non Christians can be way more competent than I am sometimes sure. and have way better character than I am. Well, I would say it's a competitive advantage. I think it's a competitive advantage, but it's also our unfair advantage because as Christ followers, you, Pat Hamner, as a as a well, before as a venture capitalist and now as an, as an equity investment guy, you've got an unfair advantage because the Holy Spirit can tell you, do this deal, don't do this deal. <laughs> I, mean, you've got, I mean, that's our unfair we, advantage. We do have prayer, and Pat and I have prayed about <laughs> some of the businesses, you know, in the past that— We certainly, you, uh, yeah. you know, we, we certainly—I certainly pray about opportunities and whether we should do this deal or not, but that doesn't always mean that we're going to make a good deal. God may— and sometimes does leads us into challenging situations, well, and because he has other ideas of redemption or restoration about that deal. He's on a different plane. Well, than sometimes we are. he's about the people, not about the money investment. That's right. But yeah. Dr. Jim Harris wrote that book, "Our Unfair Advantage: Unleashing the Power of the Holy Spirit in Our Business." Just right. want to make sure you guys know that. That's where I got that from. <laughs> All right. So you had a tweetable tweet. What were you going to tweet though? What you're going to send over to your social uh, media person, Bill Peel? Move people from have to of duty to the have to move people from the have to of duty to the want to of love and you've won the day that's a that's that's awesome mm-hmm. yep. and and jesus said he said he who wants to be first let him be last and the servant of all that's the secret to leadership i mean that's the fundamental secret to leadership and uh i i, I learned this so well at, at my freshman year at smu when i when i came into the engineering school I had run for student body president in high school in Shreveport, and I lost the election. And so I, I got to SMU, and I wanted to get involved in student government in the, there in the engineering school. So I wandered into the office uh, of, of the Student Engineers North Council, and, and I said, is there anything I can do to help you guys? And they said, well, that closet back there, it's really a mess. Would you go clean that closet out for us? And so I did. And um, next thing I know, they said, hey, would you like to be the secretary of our, our student government? Sure. So the next year they said, would you like to be the uh, treasurer? Sure. Next year, would you like to be the vice president? Sure. Would you like to be the president? So I became president of the engineering school at SMU by starting off by doing the job nobody else wanted to do. And so, and so I think it's, it's this whole idea of it being last, putting yourself at the bottom and then serving others around you, and you will rise to the top in the leadership of, of that organization. It happens way more than you would expect. Now, when you're dealing with these companies that you guys now invest in at Patriot Capital, do you teach that to people? I try. I mean, I, I try to figure out what what does that CEO need or what does that vice president of sales need that that I can help him with that will make his job a little bit easier and make it better for the company to to uh, create value. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a mindset of how can I help? Hmm. Uh, it's it's like that that board question is they they. Today, is today the day we fire the CEO? And if not, what can I do to help? I live by that. I really do. And and every time I'm in a in a relationship with a with a portfolio company, I'm that's foremost on my mind. What can I do to help these guys? And and it's not always just bringing more money or or something like. It might be, you know, kind of holding them accountable to their business plan, right? Mm-hmm. Or in some cases, it may be these people need to leave the business and we need replacements in. Right. So it's, it's just being honest and forthright and transparent about what's really going to help this business progress. That is great. So, Pat, as, you know, let's just ponder for a little bit. What do you think is ahead for business in America? 
That's a that's a great question. I you know I've noticed that the markets are very frothy right now. When you mean that, when you say that, what do you mean? Because people uh, think of a beer that like a frothy beer. Yeah, so, <laughs> you don't want the market to be. So frothy. I'm in the business of trying to put capital out into into businesses. Right now, there is a huge amount of capital in private equity, in private debt. Uh, the public markets are at all time highs. Uh, the, the, there is so much capital running around out there, and. Uh, we're all trying to find places to, to, to invest it. And, and um, uh, at some point, that's going to change. At some point, we're going we're gonna to go over, uh, uh, we're going to turn down, and the economy is going to begin to slow down. And I keep asking the question, what's, what's going to be the black swan that causes that? And, I, you know, I don't know that this is the right, the right answer, but it's, it's, it's a thought uh, that I've had. Uh, and there's, it comes from a quote from Arnold Toynbee of, of Baylor University, he studied civilizations as, as in his academic uh, work, and he, he said two things. He said, civilizations tend to die from suicide rather than murder, and then nothing fails like success. And I think the first quote goes to the idea of some kind, perhaps a moral decay that take place in civilizations versus another country coming in with a military invasion and taking over that country. But then the second point about nothing fails like success is when we're most successful, that's probably the time where we have to have the most concern about what's coming next. And uh, when we've been through such an incredible run like we have here in these last, uh, you know, few years, you wonder what's, what's going to knock us off that, uh, off that perch. It's very difficult to get a, to repeat a Super Bowl championship or even worse to three-peat mm-hmm. a Super Bowl. So when you, when you, when you're up there on top, everybody's trying to knock you off and it's, it's, it's so hard to, to stay at that level of intensity. And as as the uh, just watching the newspapers the last two days, they were talking about unemployment getting to three point nine percent, and you know growth and everything. Well, they're all showing the last time we got to the this high point. This is what happened the next year, and it's a red line going down. Mm-hmm. And so I just keep wondering: Are we in for uh, it, you know is the is the moral condition of America in such a state that it may be setting us up for some kind of a downturn in in our ec- economy? I don't know. And that's a big statement when you the moral condition of our country, because, boy, if you really were to look at our country today from a morality standpoint versus 100 years ago, the moral fabric of our society has been compromised on so many different levels. So when you are looking to make an investment in a middle market company, do you do you filter through their are you looking at their are there, at their integrity, at the character of the people that you deal with? Or are you just looking at what you're investing in? No, we're absolutely both, really. But uh, it's important to try to invest with like-minded people that you feel um, are going to be good stewards of your capital. Uh, we we have limited partners that have invested two hundred eighty-five million with us, and it's our job to do a good job of investing that money with other people that we believe are trustworthy and high-character people. Uh, so, yeah, the the the, the, the people are such an important part of the investment decision. But it's not just people. It's you've also got to have a good business model. You've got to have a competitive advantage. All the things we talked about earlier, uh, a good value proposition where you have large numbers of customers that are thrilled with the product or service you're selling, and then you can have a successful enterprise. But it's all about trying to create value uh, for for the uh, for the customers, for the employees, for the shareholders of that company. How when you compare major city metroplexes around the country for great to do business in how does dallas stack up against other major metropolitan areas for great places to start launch and grow businesses i I think dallas is a fantastic place to be 
uh, and I've been here since 1974, mm-hmm. uh, right, more or less. And uh, I think it's a, it's a business-friendly uh, city. Uh, we have a, you know, terrific tax uh, policy in the state of Texas, excuse me, that, uh, uh, you know, is, is uh, helpful for, for startup companies. We've got a labor force here that's fantastic. I mean, if anything, we're, we're, we're looking for, we, we need more workers, frankly. I mean, we need, need more people. We're, we're running short. Um, but uh, good, economic, good, good uh, uh, educational institutions with SMU and UT Dallas and UT Arlington and uh, other schools around. So um, Baylor, you know, it's, campus is here. And Letourneau University. And Letourneau University. Of course. That's right. Oh, wow. that, that went without Thank saying, you. apparently. That, that one just, <laughs> you were going to get dinner after this one? That just cost you dinner. Uh, okay. Uh, Pat Hamner, love those thoughts. Love what you're doing at Patriot Capital, and I really want to thank you for being an eye work for him today. Well, thank you. It was fun to, fun to hear your story. Bill Peel, Letourneau Center for Faith and Work. As you just said, Letourneau University, an amazing university founded by uh, founded in the name of the guy that had a heart and passion for the kingdom in business, R.G. Letourneau. When people engage with you at centerforfaithandwork.com, how are they going to get a, a piece of what R.G. left behind? Well, I'll tell you what, there are a lot of great resources on our website, but one of the most important things we have there for them is that they can look at some of the things that God wants out of business. And one of them is the creation of wealth and actually the creation of capital that Pat's talking about here. And God loves, God loves profit. He wants He wanted a profit out of us. He wants a profit out of companies. And it's very, very important to mm-hmm. him. And they can learn about that at centerforfaithatwork.com. Thank you, Bill Peel. You've been listening to I Work for Him with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, I, I work, work for him. him.